I'm pretty sure that uh, most of you, I'm not positive, uh, know that my name is Glenn, uh, but I will just let you know that just in case you're visiting, uh, pastor here at the Rock Church. Uh, very, very full heart this morning. Uh, those of you who know me know that I do cry at chick flicks. That's why I watch them with my wife. So today might be a little difficult to get through. Ten years. Honestly, ten years. As Daryl mentioned in, in the video, it, it's, it's a long time. It's a big deal. Um, and yet for Janice and I, it began three or four years before that, um, feeling the call to leave the business world and, and uh, Eventually, I ended up in church planting assessment, but before that was thinking, I just wanted to become a pastor somewhere in a local church. I wouldn't mind starting off as the second guy and then knocking off the first guy and whatever. I just wanted to be a preacher, a pastor, to proclaim God's word. And then put, God put this call on my heart and our heart as a family to plant a church. And this little community was on our heart. And it was remarkable how the Holy Spirit worked to bring us here. We don't have time to go through all of that this morning because there's a lot that I'd like to share with you this morning. But before that, just to say, in that three to four years, there were so many people praying for us, people that none of you have met, people in Abbotsford and Langley, you know, the Bible Belt out that way, uh, who heard about the desire on our hearts to come here and plant a church. Some people who had lived here and would come up to me after I would go and speak in their local churches, and one, like this happened three times, where people came up to me and said, we're going to pray for you because did you know Squamish is a pastor's graveyard? It was so encouraging. They actually said that to me, right? We came anyway. We came anyway. So I remember this day, really well. It's hard not to because it was February 14th, Valentine's Day. Uh, we had secured a rental home on Thunderbird Ridge and the four of us showed up. You see the shortest guy in that, uh, that, video, that picture there today? He is now the tallest Davies in history. Okay? <laughs> yes, he is. It, it, it drives Matt and I crazy. But it's true. Jonathan is, I think, almost six feet. It's crazy. It's a wonderful thing. But I actually remember that more so for the very next day, because here's what happened. Some of you know my background. I was a businessman and entrepreneur for uh, 20, 25 years before getting this call. And, and I remember waking up the next morning in our, our home and that we were renting, and I could smell the coffee downstairs. I'd got myself cleaned up and dressed. And, and I was going to leave the bedroom, and, and then I sat at the end of the bed, and I fell back on the bed, and my arms were outstretched, and I, I looked up in, in, into the air at the ceiling and went, what now? <laughs> Honestly, that, I'm just being really honest. Like, I, I had started businesses. This is different. We were planting a church, the four of us. We didn't know anybody. What now? Well, I, I actually heard, not an audible voice, but I heard God say, Glenn, have your coffee, and then go downtown, and I want you to do a prayer walk along Cleveland Avenue. Okay, honestly, he didn't mention the coffee. But I needed that, right? And so I went downtown and I started uh, um, up by the, the Bank of Montreal. I parked there and I started walking down, you know, past what was the Red Apple is now Corsa Bikes. Um, and as I was walking along Cleveland, it was a beautiful day. It was sunny and I'm, and I'm, I'm praying, you know, and, and, uh, and all of a sudden I, I stopped in front of this place. 
And I sat on the bench that's on the planter box that's still there, and I looked at this building, and I said, Lord, is that it? When we were at uh, church planning assessment where you go for a number of men and women uh, for three days put you through this grueling exercise to basically intimidate you. And no, really to find out whether or not you're called and have the necessary gifts to plant a church. On the second to last night, they said, listen, what you need to do is we want to ask you tonight, go home and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you a vision of uh, what that church plant's going to look like, where it's going to be, um, a people in a place that you've been called to, and, and, and how it's going to be done, and what, not by you, but what God wants you to do. Now, I, I've jokingly repeated this phrase some other pastor came up with years ago, that I am a charismatic with seatbelts, okay? So I went home, and I prayed, to, that's a joke, okay, I went home, and I prayed to the Holy Spirit, and, and I said, to Holy Spirit, like, because I knew we were coming here, we, that was assured, we had been told that, we knew that, and, and the Lord put this crazy idea in my heart, because at the time, um, I'm, I'm like 54, I know, it's remarkable. So do the math, you know how old I am now. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, I love young men and women. I, I, that's who we want to reach. And, and, and I want them to love the Bible. And, but Lord, I'm not going to be the evangelist on the street. So how are we going to do that? And he put this idea in my heart. He said, well, you love music and you love coffee and you need to be in the marketplace. You need to be right on the street. And, and the church needs to be open throughout the week, spilling out, not as the church, but, well, yes, as the church, because we are the church, right? Into the streets. And that was the vision. That was part of the vision when we came here. And then I see this place. And I'm like, is this it? See the little for sale sign there? I was like, what? It was, it was remarkable, really. So that was day two, right, that we arrived here. The next day, we were... Uh, talking, Janice and I in the kitchen, and she goes, you know, so remember that, that community group idea that you've been reading about and, and talking about that we want to do, you know, when we find some people? She goes, uh, let's start that tomorrow night right here. And I looked at her, I said, honey, there's four of us. And you know Janice, if any of you do. She went, perfect. <laughs> so we did that, and uh, we prayed, you know, like, and, 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 and she goes, no, we'll share the vision and tell everybody, like I said, it's Matt and Jonathan and you, what are you talking So I shared, you know, rehearsing the vision and because I was still making up it as I was going along at that point. So we ended in prayer and that was it. Very next day, this smiley face arrived at our door. Some of you might know her. Her name at the time was Jill Marie Stokes. She's now Jill Marie Bronson, and I got the pleasure of marrying her to James Bronson twice. Okay, that's a whole other story. Uh, it was, no, it's, it's true. <clears throat> she became our first Sunday school teacher for one Sunday, and after that she said, please, <laughs> this is not my gifting. That's what she's doing there on our first gathering. And she joined us, and then, then literally the next day I get a call from a guy whose name is Paul Siemens, and he goes, yeah, so I heard you're coming to do a church plant. Same thing that Jill Marie said when she came to our door. She said, I heard somewhere that you were going to do a church plant, and, and so she joined us, and this Paul guy, and I, I went, okay, and he goes, can we have a coffee at the Bean? And I said, sure, when, tomorrow? And he said, yeah. So we, we go and we have the coffee, and I tell him what's going to happen, I hope, and like this is the vision, and so forth, and he's... He says, that's awesome. When's your next community group? And I said, well, next Wednesday. And he says, okay, my wife Carla and I will come. And so they did. And they, they, things went well, I think, you know. Like they, they, they seemed to enjoy it. And, 
And uh, then they left, and then they invited us to their house on the weekend. And uh, we go to their house, and literally, we're inside their house in Valley Cliff, I don't know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and we sit down, and Carla looks at me, and she goes, I did not want to like you. <laughs> this is weird. This town is strange. And, and I said, okay. She goes, but we do. Because she, she had been bugging Paul for the longest time that she wanted to go home to, you know, the Bible Belt, to home, Abbotsford, right? And, uh, and, and, and they decided to stay and help us plant the church. And it was remarkable. About a week later... I get a call from this very tall dude right over here. Uh, his name is Rod Adrian. And he said, uh, yeah, um, I own and operate the McDonald's locally. Could you come and meet my wife and I for lunch one day? And I'm thinking, Big Mac? Oh, okay, so I did, and I went, and I met with them. And it was, so we sat down, and the first thing that Rod says to me is, I think it was Amanda, actually, said, what's the vision? And I was kind of taken by that, like, you know, his wife is like, she's like, what's the vision, right? And so, again, I'm stumbling through, you know, trying to tell them what the story is going to be, hopefully, and this is our dream, this is where we're hoping we're going to go. And uh, they just said, thanks, thanks for coming. And I said, well, thanks for the lunch, and I figured that was it. So the next Wednesday, we're at our house, approximately, timing here, I'm not sure, but I think it was the next Wednesday, we're at our house, and Paul and Carla are there, Jill Marie is there, Janice and Jonathan and myself, and Rod and Amanda show up, and they tell me <laughs> that they're in. That was huge. Those two men and their wives um, were the first two leaders in our church, elders and training, missional community group leaders, a m- number of other things. Thank you so much, guys. That's how it began, and it was a crazy thing. Within the next three or four months, more people started joining us, and we, we finally had a, a gathering. Uh, first Sunday gathering was one of the first pictures you saw up there uh, in our sunroom in our house that we eventually bought in the Highlands, and I think there were 14 uh, adults and like 12 kids. It was incredible, and we, we met there for a couple of weeks, and then we ended up at the Adventure Center um, and a number of other people started coming out. We did two preview services at the Adventure Center, and it was like, there was like 30, 40 people. It was like, this is happening. This is happening. It's just a miracle to me what God did. And then there was this day. Um, right here, September 27th, 2009, and the Rock Church officially launched. And those people in the picture uh, to my left, uh, actually to my right, but uh, to your left in the picture is Gord Fleming, who is the head of C2C uh, Church Planning Network. Behind us is uh, Ron Leonard. There's an older man there by the name of Nick Dick. He was kind of leading our prayer warrior team and, and campaign in Abbotsford. Him and his wife were absolutely amazing. Also, I believe there is uh, Steve Berg, who was our conference minister in MB, uh, the MB denomination here in British Columbia, and they're praying over us. Do you notice Janice has not aged a bit? Like, seriously, right? Me, not so much. So here's what I remember about that day, and, and I have to be really honest with you because, uh, well, it's the right thing to do. I was so nervous on that day. I, I was so nervous. You know, every, every church planter, pastor worth his salt, uh, knows that it's not about them, right? And, and they know it's not up to them. 
But on that day, it just felt like that. And so I'm confessing that to you. I'm truly sorry. <laughs> Thank you for your grace and your mercy. But it was so nerve-wracking. I actually have my notes. Believe it or not, I keep all, all my sermons. I, I, I realized after I looked at this one, I should probably start shredding them. <laughs> right? But I have them all. And, and this is actually my notes. This is what they were like. They were printed out like this. There's a lot of them. Do you notice that? Like, and these are my notes from that actual launch Sunday. I think I preached from Genesis to Revelation. And so for those of you who were here on that day and you guys, don't stop nodding. They were here and it, it was long. It wasn't about Genesis to Revelation, but it was long. And, and again, I just want to say, I am so sorry. <laughs> but there's one very encouraging thing to me about those notes as I read them. And that's why I highlight them, is that as I go through it, Every single thing that we talked about, it wasn't just me preaching, everything we, we talked about, because I was coalescing the vision and, and everything that we had agreed on, and we had, we had this is, yeah, this is who we're going to be, or we want to be, and this is what we want to be about. Every single thing that was in that message, it was titled, Following the Leader, guess who that is? Jesus Christ, right? And, and, and about making Jesus known, Jesus' model for discipleship to becoming a family of missionary servants. Ever, anyone ever heard that before, right? Things like that. And, and, and also his promise that he, Jesus, would build his church. All of those things were in that message. And here's the amazing and wonderful thing to me about that. That's who we are today by the grace of God. And because Jesus builds his church. So that's uh, my very simple outline for you today. I want to cover a few things with you today. I want to look back at the key passage from last year, from 10 years ago, pardon me, of Scripture that we looked at. I want to look at another that speaks uh, more to these past 10 years and how that unfolded. And then I want to share one last short and brief passage with you that I hope will encourage you for our future as a church. So the outline is the mission, the model, and the goal. I think you probably should know where we're going. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read this very familiar passage to you, highlight a few things that we know from then, but also to remind us today and just to encourage our hearts. Matthew records in chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I feel like I want to pray one more time. Pray with me, would you? Yeah, Father, once again, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, how you started all this. Thank you how you started all this 2,000 years ago. 
And thank you, Lord, that we as a church got to see that. We got to look at that. We got to see your initiation, your introduction to your ecclesia, your called out ones. Oh, Lord, we thank you that we get to be part of that. So, Lord, I just pray that you would bless this word this morning from you to our hearts in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So, a little bit of background again, as we normally do. Uh, This story is from about midway to two-thirds through the life of Jesus' earthly ministry with his disciples who have been following him. Um, Caesarea Philippi is a really interesting place, and I remember noting that 10 years ago to all of us. It's an interesting place for the questions that Jesus asks. Very interesting place. Um, First, there, there are many Jews there, but it is really more of a secular, pagan, Gentile, unbelieving town, city. To give you a bit of an idea, it's uh, a little bit like the difference between Abbotsford and Squamish, Bible Belt and not so much. I remember going back to Northview, one of our supporting churches, early on in the ministry of this church, and uh, and, and I opened up the sermon that they'd asked me, they'd asked me to come speak, and, and I was doing a little bit of an introduction uh, about being in Squamish versus being in Langley or Abbotsford, and I, just, I said something like this to them. I said, friends, I just want you to understand this. Being in Squamish is like saying you're no longer in Kansas, Toto. I mean, it's not Abbotsford. And I love Abbotsford, don't get me wrong, but Stats Canada told us and tells us before we even moved here, and it's consistent today, it's one of the least church communities in all of Canada. As an ex-marketer, I, th- I, st- I said and I still say, that's opportunity, right? 96% of people surveyed said they do not or wish not to attend a local church. And so that's a very interesting place for Jesus to ask these questions. And where he first speaks about his church. Caesarea Philippi, this is us, Squamish. So into that culture and that time, Jesus asks the question, who do people say that I am? It's an interesting question. If you're not a Christian, and I remember years ago thinking this myself, if you're not a Christian, you might be thinking, you know, Jesus thinks pretty highly of himself, doesn't he? I mean, it's almost like he he thinks people are talking about him. Well, two things. They were. They were. They were talking about him a lot. But Jesus is sort of asking it this way. If we were to contemporize it, he'd be saying, what is social media saying about me? Who do people think I am based on their tweets, their Instagram posts? Their... What are they saying in that venue? Well, of course, the disciples don't hesitate because, again, he is being talked about a lot. Thousands and thousands of people are following him. He's performing miracle after miracle, raising people from the dead, preaching and proclaiming in such a way that they've never heard before. So there are a lot of people following him. And so they say, well, you know Jesus. It's the usual, right? They, they think you're some resurrected prophet, right? Um, whether that's John the Baptist, uh, Elijah, or Jeremiah. Listen, that he would be somebody new doesn't seem to occur to them at least yet. So then Jesus asks the next question, and I love it because it's the question for all of us. It's personal. He personalizes the question. He says, but who do you say that I am? That's critical, right? It's critical. The word say is highlighted, and that's the important. It's not 
What do you think about me? Uh, what do you con- who do you consider me to be? Or who, who do you want me to be? It's what do you say? Paul got this really, really well. And in Romans 10.9, he said, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It requires that profession of faith, verbally and publicly. So, of course, our favorite fumbler of all time, you know, Peter, you know, he takes three times to get most things right, but he steps right up, right, to the plate, and he answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He gets it so right. It's awesome. Peter declares Jesus to be the Messiah of God, the long-awaited Christ, the Savior of the world. And and Jesus' response is really, really wonderful because it speaks so clearly to the gospel and the work of the Spirit. He says to Peter, blessed are you. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar means son, son of Jonah. That's how people were known in that day. For, look at this, flesh and blood, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the truth is, Peter didn't figure this out for himself. None of us do. It requires the regeneration of our very being by the Holy Spirit of God. And once that happens, you know. And when you know, you must say. So the gospel's right there. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus then tells them and us actually in this text what the mission is when he says this. And he, he says this directly to Peter. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So this is the first time in the scripture, in the gospel of Matthew, that anyone, Jesus in particular, mentions the church. He declares that his church, the Greek word ekklesia, which literally means a gathering of called out ones, my church will be built on the testimonies of those who have placed their faith in me. Those who by their testimonies of faith live their lives, listen, making Jesus known. And so it was pretty simple for us as a church. It was pretty simple for us in the early days as we met and we envisioned this to simply state it this way. The reason why the Rock Church started, exists, is for one reason. It's to make Jesus known. I was speaking to a gentleman yesterday at a wedding. I was at a wedding yesterday. I officiated a wedding. I think I should do this right now because it's something we normally do and besides birthdays, we... We normally uh, um, say something about something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, right over here, would you please stand? Dan and Amanda. I'd like to introduce to you for the first time at the Rock Church, Mr. and Mrs. Dan and Amanda Dix. Thanks, guys. I forgot to do that earlier. It's perfect timing. Holy Spirit's amazing that way. But there was a photographer there, and we got talking about marketing and various other things, a good talk, and uh, we were talking about mission statements. And I, I said to him, I said, uh, you know, the, the mission statements were not something that were invented by mankind, right? 
The, the, the mission statement that every company today has about why we exist and what we're going to do, how we're going to change the world. Do you know where it came from? And he's like, ah, right? He's trying to think of some American business person or something, some, you know, someone to quote, and I'm going, Jesus Christ, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything that I've commanded to you, and I will be with you until the end of the age. We call that the co-mission, right? It's the greatest mission statement of all time. And so mission statements are simply this. They're, they're a compass. And so everything we've been doing at the Rock Church since the day the Rock Church began is we, when someone says, well, we think we should do this program, or we should do this, or we should do this ministry, or go on mission to do this, we simply ask this question. Will it make Jesus known? If not, we probably shouldn't do it. If it will, we must do it. It's awesome. And so that's who we are as a church. Why we exist is to make Jesus known. So that was our foundation, our mission. And then from there, we had to embark on a really interesting exercise to discover for us here in Squamish, okay, how does Jesus want us to go about building this church in Squamish. Like, we, didn't, we didn't want to just import some model, so we wanted to learn about that. So that's our point number two for today is the model. And if you have your Bibles with you, flip over to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 42 to 47, and then we'll look at that a little bit. Very familiar passage again, and we studied this in depth. I'll begin reading in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I remember walking in the first couple of years uh, in apprenticeship uh, with other church planters before coming here. And this was one of the key questions that almost all of them had, all of us had, right? It was one thing to, to nail the mission. That, that was pretty consistent um, amongst church planners, like Jesus, right? It's about making Jesus known. Some you know, variation on that theme was generally the idea that most of us had. So, but, but what does the model look like? How, how are we going to actually do that, right? How should, in the context in which we live, how should we be the church? What's the model? So one thing we all knew that, that was important also was that we needed to be careful that in the end we didn't fall into the same, I want to be careful what word I use there, okay, trap, that any church can fall into for that matter, and that is worshiping the model over the mission. So we've been very careful to be watchful of that. And of course, we also came to understand this. We repeat it all the time. The church is not a building. It's not a place. It's not an event. It's you and me. It's us. We're gathering here. This is not a church. 
We're a gathering place. So one thing, one thing you could do when you think about a model is you could, you could import one, right? You could say, well, this church over here, like they planted six, seven years ago, and they're awesome. They grew like crazy. We should do what they're doing, right? You could emulate that. Or you could plant a, a, a model, a way of doing church that you're really comfortable with, that you like, you know, kind of a, maybe even a hodgepodge of some things you've done before and, and you really like. You could do that. Those, those, are, those are possibilities. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? And we experienced that tension early on. And some of you are here today and were with us from the beginning. You'll remember this. You see, we were this, we were this beautiful and yet strange at the same time, mix of people from many, many, many different backgrounds, okay? So on any given Sunday, I would look out and we were Presbyterians. Oh, yes, we were, okay? We were Presbyterians. And, and, and we, were, we were Christian Reformed, those two, right? And we were former Catholics. There was a number of people, myself included. We, we were MBers, right? And I had to tell people, it's Mennonite brethren. We don't have buggies and whips. Just look at it this way. MB stands for mostly Baptist, right? It's always got a good giggle, but anyway. And then, of course, we had some real Baptists just for good measure. You've got to have a few of those sprinkled in here and there everywhere, right? And, and yet many other denominations and backgrounds. So you had all kinds of people kind of like, well, we used to do it this way and we used to do it that way. And so listen, in the beginning of the church, <laughs> this church, the goal was simple. Get everybody on the same page. Yeah, <laughs> that was simple. But that was the goal. That was the goal. And so that's the reason why we went to this text. Acts 2.42. Just simply said to everybody, look, whatever you're bringing, hold it with an open hand. We love you. There's probably some good things there, but let's hold it with an open hand and just, let's just look together at what that should look like and find out for ourselves here in Squamish what that should look like. And so that's what we did. This passage that I read, as you might know, is the day of the birth of the church that Jesus said he would build. This is day one, week one. Such an amazing, amazing passage. And look, if you think about it, they had the perfect liturgy, didn't they? Right? They did. It was perfect. They had the apostles' teaching. So they had the preaching of the Word of God, right? They had koinonia, which is fellowship, and it's, the root word is a little bit further in the passage where it talks about holding all things in common. So it's not just coffee and chat, right? It's actually holding all things in common. And so they had that. And then they had communion, the breaking of bread, and they had the prayers. So we as a church, we looked at that, we studied that, we prayed over that, and that became essentially our model that we would practice those things in the best way we could and honoring that every time we got together. So we as a church, we studied it, we looked at it, we prayed over it, and we, that became our model. We hear the Word of God preached on Sunday and we teach it to our children. We give financially to fuel the ministry of this church and other ministries that we support. We serve each other on Sundays. We pray for one another and we practice communion, breaking of bread every Sunday. But then if you look at this passage and go a little further at what the early church did, we read, listen, they loved being together so much, they had missional community groups, potlucks throughout the week. 
And, and when they got together throughout the week, I mean, they not only ate together, they praised God, so they must have probably had some worship. They, they looked at God's word, and, and there were some people who recognized that others in the church had specific needs, and some of those needs were financial, and they actually started selling some of the, the junk they had in their second garage so they could give it, because they weren't using it anymore anyway, to give it to somebody else. Later in the book of Acts, a guy sells a very large field, and he brings the money to the feet of the apostles so that it can be used for the distribution to the saints. This is incredible love in this church. And this is what they're doing. And, and the amazing thing is, at the end of that passage, do you see it? In doing all that, they grew. Go figure. Who doesn't want to be part of a community, a family that loves each other and, and, and it's noticed because of the fact that they love one another so much, that they just want to be together all the time. It actually says in the passage I read for you that they had favor with all the people in Jerusalem, in the city. That's remarkable, don't you think? That's a great church plant. Started off with three to 5,000 people and it kept growing in the first week. Baptisms happening all over the city. Yes, it was remarkable. Almost perfect, wasn't it? That's actually a bit of the problem with that text. Sometimes we can look back at that text and we can go, well, <laughs> it's awfully perfect. It's beautiful. Well, it's a little bit like I illustrated in our sermon last week. It's a little bit like the Christian life, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I, I told you last week, I confessed to you, I had that honeymoon phase, right? I had that first six to nine months where literally I was angelic. Okay? I don't think I said anything wrong. I didn't have a bad thought. I didn't smoke, drink. You know, I got my hair cut. It was ridiculous. Okay? And then the flat line. This is a honeymoon phase. And, and I, I want to suggest to you, if you read the book of Acts, in chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, the honeymoons continue. Things change. I mean, at first, Peter and John and, and, and the, some of the apostles go out and start proclaiming and preaching Jesus publicly in the streets, right? And, and then what happens? The, the religious dudes there and some of the others in the town the city say, like, you need to stop that. And they warn them to stop it. And they, just for good measure, they beat them, right? And so they go back to the disciples where they're having potluck again and they're sharing all this. And, and, uh, and, and they say, listen, you won't believe what happened. We went out, right? And, and, and we proclaimed Jesus and they beat us. They were actually excited about it, and they wanted to go get some more whooping. Stephen was martyred. Things changed. Things got really, really difficult. And so, of course, you know what happened by about Acts 18, right? They just gave up. <laughs> no, they didn't. No, they didn't. And I was thinking about it this way, you know, it's a good thing they didn't. Now, God might have done something else, but it's a good thing they didn't because if they had, we probably wouldn't be here today. Think on that. Think on that today. So for us as a church, as the Rock Church, for those of you who were with us in the beginning, in the early days, I, I think we had that honeymoon phase. It was awesome. People were showing up like people today showed up at the ledge, dragged a bunch of stuff over here, we're here, high-fiving each other. It was actually fun doing setup again. Most people are going, don't want to do this next Sunday. But there was this honeymoon phase. Where everything we were doing was exciting. We wanted to do it. We wanted to be participating. 
And then there were some challenges. I mean, we, we, had, we, we, we multiplied, we grew, we had, you know, a second missional community group and then a third. We were doing uh, parties in the park and fall fests and, and people were getting baptized and babies were being born, still doing that today. It's awesome. And it just, the honeymoon phase was awesome. And then it was interesting. I mean, we had... Um, uh, members classes, the first couple of members classes, and people were like, like 50 people would show up for membership class and 48 would sign up, and the second class was pretty much the same as that, and then the third, less than half signed up, and then, you know, and then people started questioning things about the model, right? I remember at one point somebody was like, well, um, why are we using real grape juice for the communion? <laughs> and then when we switched to grape juice, people were going, where's the real wine? <laughs> it's the model, it's not the mission. But things like that started to happening, to happen. But there was one thing I believe that presented the biggest challenge for us, for many of us. And hear me here today, I'm confessing this, for your pastor. People started to leave. And I'm not talking about over disagreement so much about our theology or our model. In one four to five month period, 26 adults and kids left, moved away. That was really, really hard on us, on me. And we didn't respond perfectly in those days for sure. Do any of you remember <laughs> this sermon series that I did? Anybody remember this? Seven ways to love Squamish. This was so brilliant on my part, right? I figured, okay, <clears throat> I need to make sure that people understand that if you're going to move away, you know, right. This, my heart was right, okay? I just want to tell you this. But I made a mistake. I made the number one reason or way to love Squamish. I should have waited and made that number seven, but you'll never, you'll never guess what it was. Anyone who is here, can anyone yell out loud, what did I say was the number one way you could love Squamish? It's still popular today. Yes, I said die in Squamish. Right? Stop leaving. And then, of course, I quoted Jeremiah 29 to them, right? Where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So encouraging, right? But then I reminded them that, that, that at the same time in the context, the Lord tells them that they're exiles in Babylon and that they are to build houses there and, and, and in this pagan land of Babylon, have babies, right? And, 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 and they're the, to seek the welfare of the city. And in seeking the welfare of the city, they will find their welfare. Went over huge. <laughs> well, that was my heart. But that meant, because the Lord also told them that they would be there for 70 years, that all of them, including most of their kids, would die there, Right? So I know it was awesome when I asked you to do that here. But honestly, a lot of lessons were learned by that. A lot of lessons were learned, and God has been very gracious. And I'm sorry again for any of you who were offended by that, or took it the wrong way, really. There are several things we learned, but one thing we learned, and I'm so glad about this, because it speaks to our identity as a church and, and who we are as Christians, really, about being family. Here's the deal. We had literally embraced each other as family. We invested in each other. We spent time with each other. And then people leave. 
Listen, if you love these people and you've really invested in one another and you become family, that's going to be hard. But you should still tell them you love them and send them, right? Second thing that happened, though, related to that was really important. At the same time, um, there was a, a fortuitous meeting at the executive suites. A C2C leadership team was there. I was invited to be there uh, because I'm the local pastor and I was a C2C church plant. And, and the, the, the idea was birthed there to pray Luke 10.2 at 10.02 every day, to set our clocks and start praying that, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. And of course, me being a little bit self-focused, I thought this is perfect, right? I will pray every day and ask everybody at the Rock Church to send in draft choices, replacements for all these people who are leaving. It was a little bit more sincere faithfully than that, but we did start doing that, and so did our church planning network, and, and you know what? This spread, this idea spread from Squamish through C2C and other church planning nets, networks across the world. I heard at the last that I heard that there might be close to a million people a day with their phones set to pray that prayer every day. That changed a lot, guys, because I'm going to tell you something right now. I, I can see those of you who are here today, and I want to, and I've said this before, you are new here within the last two to three, four years. You're an answer to that prayer. Thank you for coming. And the remarkable thing about a lot of you who have come, not all of you, and we're praying for you, trust me, but a remarkable thing is many of you who moved here were able to do something that those who were here and moved away couldn't do, buy a house. So that's also remarkable. The other thing that happened was a really amazing phone call. I was speaking with Ron Leonard, who was uh, part of our original elder board task force here at the Rock Church and, and a friend and mentor to me uh, in, as a church planter. And I was, I was sharing with him about another couple who had just left, and I was lamenting over how hard it was. You know, poor old Glenn, right? And, and he just he, he broke into the conversation. He said, Glenn, Glenn, buddy, I just saw the pictures on Facebook. You know, I do post things from time to time. Anybody know that? I saw the pictures of those people leaving, and let me tell you something, Glenn, about the Rock Church. You guys send people better than any church that I know of. Wow. That, I'm just saying for me, that was a huge Holy Spirit moment. Huge. Because at that moment, I remember saying to him, we are. <laughs> and it, it occurred to me at that time, we are ascending church. That's also our identity. We are ascending church. I feel like the first family that we, we sent and that we sent well is this family here, this picture here. This is uh, Mark and Jen Urbanowski. Mark was a local RCMP officer, uh, drummer, right? They were awesome. They loved our mission community groups, part of our church. They, they felt called, honestly, to go to Prince Rupert Terrace area where... Um, uh, Jen's parents and family were, but Mark, wanting to be as an RCMP officer, wanted to be in that community to, to bless that community as an officer, but also the First Nations, as things like that. And oh, at first I was like, no, 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 please, please. And, and then I remember like, just saying to him, okay, listen, the, the, the most important thing is, you, you gotta, first of all, you've got to find a really good church. And, uh, you know, it's, good, it's one thing to know you're being called to a, church, like a community, but like, there needs to be a healthy church there. And as soon as I said that, I went, oh, darn there's a young pastor up there at the Baptist Church that I actually, through the Christian Leadership Development thing at Axe Seminary, I actually mentored him for three years. He's a really good guy. So I told him to go visit that church. They did. 
we sent them. And the amazing thing is, to this day, a couple times a year, Mark will call me to talk about various things related to the church or just to check up and see how things are going. They got to Prince Rupert. They weren't there three, four, five months. And they started sharing with their pastor the missional community group model that they were part of here. And they've done that now also in their church in Terrace, as far as I know. They're sent ones. They're still part of our family. I think it was about a year after they'd moved up there, Russ and Anna Lamb, dear Russ, they, they drove all the way up to Prince Rupert because they just wanted to see Jen and Mark and the kids again. Because why? Because we are family. And so we've, we've been doing that from day one. We, we, we have had people who are part of our church Paul and Carla Siemens were the, the first people to join with us. Paul and Carla sold everything, sold their house in Valley Cliff, went to Florida, went to Reformed Theological Seminary it's because Paul wanted to follow the call in his heart, which was to be a pastor, and today he is a pastor at Northview Community Church in Abbotsford. They're sent once. Rod and Amanda, sitting right here, came to us one day, and I said, don't you dare. <laughs> Rod felt called to go back to his alma mater, Briarcrest Bible College and Seminary in Karenport, where our son is still. And because uh, he felt, you know, he's like, I don't know, eight foot tall. He thought he'd go back and coach basketball and, and be in full-time ministry again. And then he got into administration there, as did Carla. And today, he is a pastor at Central Heights Church in Abbotsford. There's many people. I could name so many people. Ekai and Tally. Tally's our niece. They went to uh, Cloverdale to Crossridge Community Church, and, and they were there, I don't know, six months, became community group leaders. I saw Lee Francois one time um, at, a, at a C2C thing, and he walked up and he goes, we owe you draft choices. <laughs> Thank you for sending us Ekai and Tally, right? And I'm like, draft choices. Just remember that, okay? And then we sent these people. Matt and Janelle. Matt's here today, to Port Alberni. His pastor, their pastor, called me after about six months there, and I'm thinking, what did he do wrong now, right? And, no, I'm kidding. And, and the pastor literally said to me, number one, why did you let them go? And number two, thank you. Pictured there is uh, Dave Kephart, who I don't think is here today, um, struggling with Parkinson's, but his son we sent a few weeks ago to Powell River as the new young life leader. We prayed over him and sent him. And then certainly, last but not least, is this couple uh, here with us today, Brian and Wendy Avey. Dear, dear friends. They lo he looks really good in the tux, doesn't he? Like, what's that all about? Well, Wendy looks beautiful too. It never gets easy. It never, ever gets easy sending people you love. You know, I know the flannel graph answer. Jesus builds his church. The Holy Spirit is all we need. We sang that today, right? Father, you are all we need. I am pretty certain that I would never have been able to lead this church without my wife, my two sons, all of these people that have been highlighted here, and a few others that were here, none more so than Lorraine sitting here this morning with us, and Nick leading worship here this morning, and Heather, and Daryl, and Adrian. It's, it's incredible. Wayne and Heather joining us. 
Thank you, guys. Thirdly, the goal. So in conclusion, what are the next 10 years going to look like? I have no idea. (laughs) We don't know. Do we? But we do know this. Jesus will build his church. Amen? We know that. We totally know that. So, so our goal, church, needs to be simply this. Number one, hold the mission tight for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I won't be here that long. But hold that tight. May I encourage you to hold that tight. Secondly, hold the model really loosely. Be ready to follow him and change it up. When he makes that clear to you, whether it's gathering here or at the ledge or whatever that might look like, hold that loosely. Be willing to adjust. I feel there's very much more, a lot more that we could say about this, but let me leave you with two things. First, the Apostle Paul had a personal goal that I want to call all of us to. He said this in Philippians 3. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. What? Being righteous fully in Christ. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, listen, reviewing the past and glorifying and worshiping and honoring God for what he has done, that's helpful and it's also helpful for the courage that you're going to need, we're going to need going forward too. But Paul's point here is, don't be distracted. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So friends, being an awesome church is not the goal. I'm glad I actually never thought that, but it's not the goal. The goal, I know you know this, but let me just say it, proclaim it, is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the goal is to be like him in every way possible. So make him the goal of your life and everything else will be the way it should be. Secondly, two years ago, we asked our Vision 2018 and Beyond team to dream big. Any of you who know me know that I like to use those two words. Just dream big, guys. We were, we were trying to decide whether to leave here, go back to the ledge, sell the ledge, whatever it should be. I asked them to dream big. We asked this question of that team, encouraged them to ask this question of themselves. I'm encouraging you, every one of you here today, to ask this question of yourself and of our church going forward with a closed hand on one thing, an open hand on another, and certainly two open hands on this. It is this. What could or should you and I be doing that would require a miracle from God? Not a safe bet. Not something that we've read that, oh, it's worked over there. In other words, what risks, literally risks, could we take that in human terms are impossible? But by having believing faith, that would, with God, nothing is impossible. 
we will see many men and women come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. May that be our goal. May that be your goal. Dream big. Pray with me, would you?